Hello and welcome to Retrospective Replay, Episode 8, a serialised podcast taking an in-depth look into video games. This is Season 1, Vagrant Story. My name is Ian and with me tonight is Michael. Hello. Hello, Ian. How are you? I'm okay. Uh, Weather's crazy. We've had three days of sun and snow simultaneously, which was very odd. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, Looking forward to lockdown lifting a bit more tomorrow and getting back to a bit more more normality. Seeing people in reality. Yeah, that will. That that's always something good to look forward to. Okay, so patch notes for this week. I've only got one. I know we haven't really done any patch notes for a couple of weeks now. That's because I haven't picked anything on the edit. It's because everything's been perfect. <laughs> well, everything could be perfect, but nobody's emailed in yet because we've only just went live. Yeah, you know, true. we're recording show eight, but show two is only dropping tomorrow. But the patch note is that we've been complaining the whole time about the menu system. However, what I discovered was, which I totally forgotten about until a couple of like about two or three weeks ago, I've been forgetting to mention it, is that if you hold L2, you can bring up a quick menu so you can access items, defense abilities, offense abilities, and magic a lot faster. It's not perfect because you have to hold L2 and then you either use the D-pad or the face buttons to access a different menu. So all the magic is on your right-hand side face buttons, your X, your triangle, square, circle. But they are marked like, you know, they have the categories, so it's the, the sorcerer, the enchanter type spells. So you have to know which spell the sub-menu is under to get it right. Because as soon as you back out of that, because you've selected the wrong one, it drops back to the gameplay and you have to hold L2 and, and do it again. So you can lose a bit of time because... Even if you're still holding L2 and you draw back the gameplay, it still plays for about a second. So if the enemy is charging up ready, they can actually get an attack off while you're going through the menu going, oh, which spell did I want? So that was it. So anyway, onto the game. We are in a workshop, I believe. That's where we saved and turned it off last week. Yep, Keen's Crafts. Keen's Crafts Workshop, that was it. And what what did that translate to roughly? Something like Warriors yeah, Craft? Yeah, Battle. Keen is the surname comes from... Irish or Gaelic is from Ka, and that's a fight, so fighters, crafts, basically. Right, fighters, crafts, brilliant. So we start there, and we move back out to the outdoor keep area to go through the door where Guildenstern, Samantha, and Rosencrantz previously left. So we go to open that door, and we get a cutscene. The music, Rosencrantz, starts to play... Ashley goes to open the door and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern walk back in. Guildenstern says that he wants to see what Sydney had planned for Ashley, but he just wants to finish this and tells Rosencrantz to kill him. Rosencrantz agrees and Guildenstern walks away and we get a small dialogue between Rosencrantz and Ashley. Rosencrantz says, We meet again and you have no idea how long I've waited to measure swords with you. Ashley asks what he means. Rosencrantz tells him that he's known him for a long time. Ashley's very surprised by this, but Rosencrantz continues, saying that he was the one that set him up as the VKP's errand boy, but he has to thank Ashley for his current lack of employment. Ashley questions us again, and we finish on the line, Here, let me jog your memory, comes from Rosencrantz. The fight then starts. So this was probably a not a hard fight, but it was quite drawn out for me. How did you find him? 
Yeah, no, it was drawn out a bit, but I think that's you were kind of expected to be a bit drawn out. It wasn't hard, but it, it wasn't easy either. And I mean, you don't end up killing him either, so it's not a final. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, he uses the sword arts that we get, the break arts. So one of them was the, the poisoning one. Vile Scar. Vile Scar, that's it. And he also heals himself quite a lot with healing items uh, that do 50 yeah. HP. He also used something called Cherry Rond on me, and that was, again, a kind of a pirouette sword strike. Oh, right, no. He, he didn't manage to use that one on me. Uh, he's quite resistant to chains, I found. You, you don't hit a lot of the chains. A lot of the miss, and my risk was starting to climb, so I have to stop, and then I, I think I limited it to, like, two, three hits on a chain. To be honest, doing massive chains doesn't really give you any advantage in this game, and I've learned this now. No. I don't think so. The other thing as well I found interesting in the dialogue was the turn of phrase use about him. He, was, he had been waiting to measure swords with Ashley. You know, it's effectively an idiom for a sword fight, but it was just an interesting way of saying, again, it's the kind of old, kind of archaic language. Yeah, game. it's very Shakespearean-esque at times, isn't it? Yeah. Right, so we beat Rosencrantz, and we give in a longer cutscene now. Ashley defeats Rosencrantz, and Rosencrantz kneels to the ground and shouts at Ashley, yield, and they stop fighting. Rosencrantz tells Ashley that it's a shame your skill in the killing arts did not go the way of your memory. And then Ashley questions this, what killing arts, which is, you know, ridiculous thing to ask, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the guy at this point has been like, it's defeated so many enemies, so many huge dragons, ogres, you know, behemoths of monsters, and... You've been using these break arts and things the whole time. And, you know, you're suddenly going, oh, what do you mean? I know killing arts. It's like, yeah, you've, you've just destroyed all these things. So it's it's a bit of a silly line. Rosencrantz says to him, you really don't remember. I should give the VKP more credit. We were in the same unit. Actually questions this and says, you mean in the King's Guard? Rosencrantz questions the King's Guard. He explains it's more VKP lies. And then he goes to tell Ashley the story of what actually happened. So the screen fades white and we are back to the picnic on the hill, probably for the fourth or fifth time by now. But this is a bit of a giveaway, but the music is called Brainwashing and that's what starts to play. Interesting, I didn't know that. I mean, as we'll probably talk about later tonight, characters talk about what else happens about this scene. Yeah, uh, but I mean, as you say, we've seen this scene now for how many... Th- and every time it's different. Every time there's something extra in there. So at this point, who knows what to believe? What we're assuming is that every time we see it again, that there's something extra being added into it or there's more truth being put into it. But is it? That's exactly what a logical, normal structure would ball under, isn't it? It was... Yeah. Every time you see it, say it was a film, and it's a film where the main character's lost the memory and they get the memory back. And then by the time you get to the end of the film, you know, they've been piecing these things together, but not this game. This could be anything. I mean, the first one could be right, this one could be right, the one that Sydney showed Ashley could be right, so. Well, there's not a massive difference between what Sydney showed Ashley and what Rosencrantz showed him. It's just that Rosencrantz was there in this one, but he wasn't in the previous one. So the woman's corpse can be seen again, so she's just been killed by whoever. And the camera is looking down at her from above, and she's lying on the ground, and it zooms out to reveal Ashley with his blade covered in blood. 
Rosencrantz is now here, and he says, Well done, Commandant, both right through the heart. Then he stops and realises that they are these on the targets, and he says, What? They're just peasants. Ashley kneels down next to the young boy. Rosencrantz says, Their luck ran ill is all. So he's saying, They ran out of luck on the wrong place, wrong time. However, all witnesses to our operations must be dealt with. It is our code. They were wrong to picnic here. And he says, we are the hands of justice and it's good for the realm and a few sacrifices is nothing. So he's a pretty cold guy at this point. You know, he's just saying, we're in the wrong place, wrong time. They got killed. It's their fault. We shouldn't feel. Yeah, they're just collateral damage. They're casualties of war or whatever is going on. That's the way he sees it. Yeah, that, that's exactly the way he sees it. However, Ashley sees things differently because he sees a few sacrifices. Then he stands up and then he shouts at Rosencrantz and says, you tell me why these people had to die. Why we had to kill them. They were innocents. Is it not our charge to protect these very souls? Ashley then throws his sword away and kneels down on the floor. Rosencrantz asks him what is wrong. You sound like the adulpated preacher. And adulpated is just being stupid and confused or dim-witted. Mm. Ashley then falls to the ground and Rosencrantz asks him what's wrong as we fade back to the present time. So we're back to the keep. Ashley's down on one knee. Rosencrantz says, Although the VKP are now wards of the law, they weren't previously. They were performing black ops such as assassinations. And Ashley was one of the best, but he did not agree with their values, so the VKP didn't want to let him go. Ashley questions about Rosencrantz, and he says, Myself, I was picked up by the VKP like you were, and he learned about Leomond and was sent to spy on them. And then he made some friends, which is obviously, what, Grissom? Basically, the, the Crimson Blades, basically. Possibly Sydney at this point. Um, I'm trying to think now. Did he... Is he working with Sydney, do we think? I don't know. I think he's working with whatever. He's whoever. I think he's playing all sides, or he's you know, working with all sides there, I think, as well. You know, he, we know he's in with the Duke. We know the Duke was in with Sydney because he was bankrolling him. So, yeah, I think Rosencrantz could be one of the smartest characters here, to be honest. Ashley stands up. And Ashley says to him, the Cardinal's men are Mullenkamp. So he actually does answer this, to be fair. And he says both, because he was unhappy with the old ways. And he compares the VKP to that of a common ruffian, saying the differences being that they prey on people, while the VKP preys on nations. Other members of the VKP try to forget or kill themselves to get away from their guilt. However, Rosencrantz plans to use the VKP the way they used him. And then there's an important line here during this speech where he says, You know them, the privileged ruling from their satin couches, born with silver spoons in their mouths, are shrew moneyers, standing on the backs of the poor. But the pawns have seen the game board for what it is. Now there is only one thing left. And Ashley questions that as Leomond and Rosencrantz nods. Yeah, so it seems to be the case that Rosencrantz sees it that they're like pawns in a game. Uh, and this goes back to what he was talking to Gildenstern um, previously about um, how, you know, there are no opportunities in peaceful times. Uh, and when opportunity comes, they're used by the, the ruling classes or the privileged for to their ends. So I think Rosencrantz is talking about the idea of he's been used by the rich and powerful, same as Ash has been used by them for their means, and he's now trying to get something out of it for himself, which, I mean, you know, you can empathize with him in some ways. Is he really bad, or is he another one of these grey characters? Oh, he's definitely grey, isn't he? He's he's not... I can't see his affinity being good or bad. Kind of a mix of both, um, to self-serve, to change yeah. as it suits, I think. 
if I would say he's probably slightly leaning towards the darkness just because, you know, his lack of empathy towards the the peasants under at the picnic. Yeah. However that was however long ago, you know. Yeah. No, I, I mean in that sense. Morally he's probably a bad person, but if doing the right thing boosts him in terms of status, stature or power, he would probably do that. Ashley says the blades, the VKP they all want the power it holds. Rosencrantz tells him that's correct and that Sydney holds the only key. He doesn't know what his intentions are in using Sydney as a vessel for the dark. However, he says regardless, his time is nigh. Ashley then questions if the Blades will do Rosencrantz's dirty work. The reply is, these pious fools have been long steeped in filth. Then there's a very short earthquake, which I'm not sure what that's about. Well, there's earthquakes all the time there in Leoman, so... Rosencrantz tells Ashley, I will not yield so easily next time we meet. And Ashley tells him, you're a poor loser. And Rosencrantz just says, say what you will. Walks off by the door we tried to exit before. And Ashley finishes off talking to himself, saying, lying to ourselves, believing our own lies. Partly in reference to the fact that, you know, Rosencrantz wouldn't win next time. And probably to the fact that he was explaining the memory. Yeah, and he's thinking back then to everything, I guess, that he's seen to this point And what, he, again, you know lies lying to ourselves what to believe people believe what they want all that kind of thing so i think ashley's you know people have gotten into his head and he's starting to you know question everything yeah yeah he's got no idea what to believe i mean at this point you wonder why he's pushing on but clearly that's what merlos is there for isn't it she is kind of the character that causes him to push his drive on really yeah because he's got to go and get her back because i mean otherwise he could just be like you know the hell with this i'm off yeah, exactly. Even though I think that's probably against a risk breaker's kind of personal code or the risk breaker's code, but still, at this point, you think if he, if he didn't have to rescue Malos, he might just be like, you know what, this isn't worth it anymore. Just go to space and nuke it from orbit. <laughs> game over, man. Game over! So we get the gameplay back. We move next into Raucous Rise. And this was like, there's two enemies to take down, just Crimson Blades. For me now at this point, we've got quite a lot of stats, quite good weapons. I'm finding enemies to get a bit easier. You know, you take them down pretty fast, especially if you can like sort of spend the time casting Degenerate on them, Prostasia on yourself, Tarnish on them as well. And you start hitting them for really high double digit damage and you take them out in three, four hits. Yeah, they start to become more of a nuisance than a challenge. The most annoying one is when you go to hit them and it's, you know, you're going to cause three, four, five damage. And you think, right, I'm using the wrong weapon type. So you try a blunt weapon. If you're using a piercing one, say, then again, that only causes 10 damage. So you're like, right, I'll go to an edge weapon and ah, look, 38 damage. You're like, right, brilliant. So that is one of its biggest flaws is not knowing which weapon to use at what time without either trial and error experimentation or using the analyze spell which to be honest is just as cumbersome because you've got to go even if you're using the quick menu for starters you got to remember if it's an enchantment or a warlock or sorcery but if not you go through the menu so you've got to find the spell cast the spell go back in the menu go to status scroll to the person that you've just used the spell on find their status go to the second page and then look at their resistances and affinities so it's it's a bit of a shame it's a bit of a shame because it really slows the pace of the game down when you have to be doing that far. Yeah. In theory, every enemy, you know, if you want to go as fast as possible. But I just run around with my strongest weapon and just hit things. Yeah, I mean, that's. It. I mean, you, you could go in and check all of those, but then you'd be there all day. Oh, yeah, seriously. And even the game without doing that 
still at this point you know we'll talk about it in a moment maybe but it becomes a little bit of a slog and a grind and there's multiple paths so we may as well just talk about it now because yeah. i'm just going to talk about the correct path so there's multiple ways to go there's a couple of bosses that are kind of optional that we don't even really need to kill but you get the sigil to access a workshop so it's quite handy for later on but there's multiple ways to go through the second level mines However, you only, I think you only need to beat the air elemental within the mines and the air dragon within the mines, which we'll talk about very soon. But there's another elemental that we do fight, and you don't have to beat him just to get through the game, but to get through the story. But it's quite difficult nowhere to go, so in the end, I think we've resolved to just both using the same guide. So I think I'll probably link that in the show notes for anybody that wants to follow the same guide, which is... it's. Not, it's spoiler free pretty much if you follow that then you'll go the same path we took to talk about this raucous rise it's a large area there's four entrances but the one we need to go it's got like this large jump hasn't it you've got to jump on top of a building jump over a big gap and if you don't have high enough agility you can't make it so you can use i think we have a spell to increase agility and we also can use some uh, like fairy wings i think they're called the item too agility jump over. However, my, my agility is quite high. I was able to jump straight over. We come out of Rocus Rise through Rue Aliano. This is a side street. It's quite narrow. It bends to the left and then round to the side of a house. But there's three enemies in here. One which had a bow gun. Since it's so narrow, the bow gun guy spawned somewhere at the back and he kept shooting and hitting his own men for me. You defeat them and we use a sigil. And we go into the house Kazabas. The background music changes, or the background sound effects changes from the normal city sound effect with the birds just to wind noise. There's a chest in here with a grimoire mute which casts silence. So silence stops. We talked about it before because I think you had silence cast on you and it stops uh, other people from casting spells. Yeah, which later in the game, or, or actually, you know, but at this point in the game, particularly when you started coming up against other characters that can cast magic, or that you want to cast protection on yourself, can be quite important. I've never had it work on a boss. Every time you try and use it on a boss, it just says 0% chance. Yeah. Um, it's quite a funny house, this, though, isn't it? Because it's called a house, but it's like, it's a split level. you got the ground, and then like a mezzanine, because it's not even got a wall. Mm. There's a bed in the corner, and then that, that seems to be about it. And then... You just go up the mezzanine and out the back door to Zebel Walk, which is another church-like place, just like Dinas Walk. There's not much to do here. There was two jumps just like in Dinas Walk. And then we move out into Rue Volnak. Not a lot, just a couple of nights. So we just go through a few series of areas, which is Train and Grow Strong, which I suppose is true, onto Squire's Gathering. There's a zombie mage and a dark skeleton. We keep going through uh, the invaders are found with another dark skeleton. There's the Dreamweavers, which Dreamweaver, when I think of the word Dreamweaver, that was a website creation package that everyone used back in probably early 2000s, late 90s. All right. Then there's the Cornered Savage. And finally, that takes us into the Undercity West down a staircase. I.e. the Blue Harry Potter place. Yeah, the Blue Harry Potter. The Undercity music starts to play. I believe there's an Undercity East and West, but it's got the same background music. Yeah. Which is funny because I don't think it ranks in at that long of a song compared to some other stuff. It just goes on repeat, and it, I think it's only a couple of minutes long. Whereas, we go through a door in the Fear of a Fall, which is a boss room. A purple portal is there, and that opens up in front of Ashley. And something, like, reaches through. Its arms grab the side of the portal, 
and it pulls the rest of its body through and then we see from above and you see like a straw rounded hat yeah it's it's like the hat that i'm riding from mortal combat wears that's exactly what i was going to say that's exact notes i've got he looks (laughs) at that point it looks like an undead dark riding from mortal Kombat. yeah yeah and then the music the dark element starts to play He even has the kind of cloaky bit that comes out the back that looks like Raiden as well. Yes, he does actually, doesn't it? Well, and what I would say about the music, it's quite short, the Undercity music. Whereas this dark element, you're fighting them for what? Probably, these boss fights, they never last long, do they? They never really last longer than a minute. This dark element music is 4 minutes 20 seconds long. Alright. You only hear a couple of seconds of it. It's the boss, the dark elemental. 380 hit points 160 magic points it's a phantom and it has a special attack dark chant which kind of does sound like a bit of a chant doesn't it it, it makes like a it's like an organ making a chord as it charges up and then it shoots out and it makes a shrieking sound as it yeah it's really cool it's like this black sphere that comes and then there's the kind of pinky purpley glyphs around it as he's doing it and it makes it kind of as you say like a chant or a chord before yeah. it attacks you Yeah, it's actually a really pretty cool boss, this one. It's one of the coolest attacks I would see in the whole of the game that I've seen so far. It actually now looks like magic. Well, this boss took me by surprise, and I think I went in there with less than full health, and I got a game over screen off this boss the first time around because it's got a meteor spell, meteor attack. Level 1 meteor. Yeah, which works like the flame sphere from the fire elemental, where it comes down and hits multiple parts of the body. What I want to say, this hits more parts. I think this must hit about five or six times, each one being somewhere between about 15 and 20 damage. And in total, it's a lot of damage, just like a third of your health, maybe slightly more. So we beat this boss, and I've made a bit of a faux pas this week because I've had, you know, lack of time. You know, the, surprisingly, a podcast like this does take up a large amount it's of okay, time. It's okay, Ian. Too. You just realised that last week I was getting closer to your point score, and you're afraid that I've caught up to you. <laughs> Not have my points or my bonuses, unfortunately, this week. But Michael, I believe you have yours. Yeah, for the points I had, one million three hundred thirty-two thousand three hundred. We had completed thirty-seven percent of the map. Daredevil ranked still, and I had uh, MP plus two. So thirty-seven percent of the map. We're quite a way through the game. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a lot of optional content. Yeah. And what we'll probably find from next week is there'll be a discrepancy between my map completion and your map completion. Because I'm saying I didn't get a lot of time this week, but I spent a lot of time getting lost. This is why we reverted to the guide. So I think I spent about two and a half hours running around. I ended up going back through a door and had to go back through the forest. So I've been through a couple of extra doors where you probably haven't been. So you might find I'm two, three percent higher than you for the rest of the game. That is one of the criticisms as well. I mean, one of the things about this game, it's easy to get lost. It's easy to go around in circles. And one of the really, 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 really annoying things is going back into rooms and uh, bosses, not the bosses, the, the enemies have respawned. So, and as you say, you know, some of them, once you have the, the better weapons, are, are a trifle, but it just becomes a grind and trying to find your way through. And I think reverting to, for this phase of the game anyway, a guide was, was a kind of a bit of a practical necessity. And I could see that some people may, may get a little bit frustrated and give up. But I think what holds people's attention is the story. And it's so compelling that you want to persevere. Similar to story and vagrant story for us is our Cal or our Merlose. We're willing to keep going. 
rather than say, you know, to hell with this, we've had enough of running in and out of rooms and fighting skeletons. Although there's no bats um, at this point, although there are flying things. They're, they're worse than bats. <laughs> no, you're right. It, it's a very compelling story. I'm really enjoying the story. I'm really enjoying trying to guess what's going to happen because now, like I said, played it, never beat it before. We are definitely surpassed where I got previously. The last thing I really remember now, you know, as I've been playing, I've been getting memories of, oh, I remember this, remember that. And I believe the Rosencrantz battle was probably the last major thing I remember. So you're like Ash remembering what you've done before. and now you're... That's it. Yeah, I think, again, as well, you know, this part of the game took up a lot of time to get through. The, the part we're talking about now, there, there's there's not much story. And again, that can be frustrating, I guess, at some point, because you do want to know what's going on. I wanted to find out. Once Rosencrass left, I was like, okay, what is true? What's happening? So, hmm. yeah. Fortunately, the story's coming quite thick and fast at this point. Yeah. But as I say, there is a lot of gameplay in... Especially if you get lost and go around in circles of repeating yeah. yourself. Yeah, if you, if you get lost and go around in circles, yes, you end up grinding out a lot of gameplay. But now with this guide that was wrote 20 years ago and is on GameFAQs, we will certainly get there a little bit faster because we're going to talk about, we're not talking about optional content this time. Maybe we'll do a bonus episode when we're done and talk about optional content. Or we might be sick of playing this game for the past three months. But let's just see how we get on. We've defeated the Dark Elemental and we move on into Sinner's Corner. And this is a new enemy type. Well, two new enemy types. Uh, the skeleton is actually a different skeleton, I believe, because it's a dark skeleton as opposed to a normal skeleton. I think it's just a bit tougher. But then you have to fight this dark eye, which is a really strange thing, isn't it? It's like a floating... It's like a floating eyeball with a kind of a, a force field around it or something. And if you don't use a piercing weapon, it's pretty tough. But as soon as you switch to a piercing weapon, because these things have 100 hit points, it goes down really quick. Yeah, it used quite an interesting attack as well on me. Vulcan Lance. Yeah, Vulcan is the, the Roman god of fire. And volcanoes, i.e. Vulcan. Volcanoes. Unlike Spock. And it also does the dark chant as well. So it kind of reminds me as well of the Eye of Sauron. More ranks. So from here... We can go to the children's hideout, which I'm not sure if you went in there. There was another dark eye and a gargoyle. So I think it's the first time we've seen a gargoyle, yes. which is basically just like a... Is it the first time? No, it's not. No, we've no, seen a gargoyle previously. In, in the Iron Maiden, yeah. So there's a dark eye and a gargoyle there. But then there's a chest that's up high. We get the Sweet Death, a steel sword, I think it is. There's a knuckle guard, footman's mace, and a spiked shield. I think this might be the Hagagne one. Right now I'm using basically Hagagne, all my equipment's Hagagne now at this point. Well, it is the strongest weapon, the strongest material, isn't it? No, no, there's um, silver. Oh, silver, yes. And then there's Damascus after that. What is Damascus? Damascus is a type of steel that is stronger. Okay. So just in this game, they just use it as, you know, it's, it's, so goes what, leather, bronze, iron, Hagagne, silver, Damascus. So I've, I've got Hagagne equipment and I've got one Damascus glove. Okay, so we move back out of here. You've got a Grimoire in there as well. Which is a Dispel, which um, I think it's Dispel next target. So if you cast it on yourself and then somebody tries to use Degenerate, it will be Dispelled and it won't affect you. So it's like a magic shield. Pretty much. So we'll get these items from the chest at the children's hideout and then what we need to do is we need to we've only basically come down here for 
the loot off the Dark Elemental, which I believe was a Catalia sigil, and I think that's the one that allows us to access a workshop a little bit later on. So we need to backtrack. We go back through the city, and since, you know, I'm hoping people are going to be following the guide here, otherwise I'll just be shouting out room names for the next 10 minutes, we go to Rue Morgue in the town centre south, and then we enter the Corridor of Shade, which takes us into the Abandoned Mines Level 2. So the Abandoned Mines Level 2 is different to Level 1. It's got its own music, Abandoned Mines Level 2. But the whole thing is basically just one big speed run. It's a bit of a maze, and you only get two and a half minutes to run through it to go the correct way. So it's one of these check things where you walk in and it goes, a door opens somewhere, and you get two minutes to run through about 12 rooms as fast as you can. However, there are other rooms with other optional gear, but we're not really going to talk about that because you could probably spend a whole episode just talking about Abandoned Minds B2. Yeah, I think there's two components to this section. There's the first part where you fight that important boss. Well, not the important boss, the air element. And I didn't realise. So when you go into the mines first, you fight some... I don't think we've fought them before. Orcs? The Orcs, yes. The first room is the Corridor of Shade. And that is another descending staircase that looks exactly the same as all the other staircases we saw in Abandoned Mines 1. But yes, the Orcs. Well, I mean, the Orcs, they're kind of like... um, They're like a, a person, but with the head of a pig. Well, I mean, everyone knows what an Orc is. Well... I'm saying Anyone who's seen Lord of the Rings knows what an orc is. They, well, they are totally different than Lord of the Rings orcs, aren't they? These things are about three feet high. Uh, I thought some of them were a bit bigger. Some of the later ones in this one looked a bit bigger to me, didn't they? They might have been. Some of, some of them are dressed in like a gold armour, and I think they might be either like a chieftain or a sorcerer. But they were never that high, but they are very wide. They are very stocky. Yeah, they're like pig people. I don't know how else to explain it. And they're a kind of half-human, half-hog beast. Man, bear, pig. No, yeah, it's like a half-human, half-hog beast. And they're quite strong, aren't they? They take quite a lot of punishment, but they don't seem to dish out very much punishment, fortunately. No, and they're, they're slightly susceptible, I think, to water affinity attacks. But yeah, they're not, they're not overly taxing. So we move out the Black Corridor of Shade into Revelation Shaft. And this was a box puzzle, and it was a bit of a, an annoying one because you have to push the crates over the edge and then stack them together to grab another crate to then place it at an edge of a chasm where there's a floating platform in front of you and you have to make sure you jump high enough to get the floating platform to jump over. If you mess it up, you fall down and you go back to the start. So it took me two tries, I think, the first time round because I had my camera on the wrong orientation and I misjudged where the floating block was. Yeah. I'm also... In, it's something that's a revelation for me, given that we're in the revelation shaft. The floaty green stones, as I've been referring to them all along, uh, just having a look at the guide, they're technical term are cloud stones it's a nice description isn't it cloud stones yeah i I think i'm gonna stick with floaty green stones we move out of revelation shaft after doing the pain of a box puzzle and we go through the gambler's passage where there's more orcs funnily though the orcs have a human affinity you know well they have a human body and then uh, we finally get to the miner's end which is another boss 
there's a bit of a cutscene, very small. Ashley walks in the room, he looks left, he looks right, and then uh, then wind starts to like sweep up in the room, and then the elemental appears in front of Ashley. The boss music is funny, to be honest. The boss music is from an optional boss, Ifrit. The elemental music from some optional content. And everybody knows, you know, if you've played other Square games, everyone knows the name Ifrit, you know, Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VIII. I'm pretty sure he was in Final Fantasy X. Never played nine, so I can't comment on that. But we've already said that there's a lot. This game takes place in the same universe final fantasy so this didn't seem to be a hard boss for me at all i used soil fusion on my weapon and then it was fine you know before soil fusion it's two or three damage at best after soil fusion it's 30 40 damage their special attack was quite cool i quite liked their lightning bolt and that's interesting for what you get afterwards but. we beat this boss uh, i don't have my points again for this boss or or anything else so, so what did you get i had 1,446,565 we've done 40 percent of the map still daredevil and uh, agility plus two so we get some loot obviously and we get the main thing we get a grimoire foudre foudre which is the french for lightning yes so we have foudre so lightning that comes out of the sky also uh, another thing uh, if you well if you read french terminology is coup de foudre which is basically a sudden or an unforeseen event, like lightning. Or, in literature, coup de foudre is, is also a way of saying love at first sight. Which I guess love at first sight is like being struck by lightning. So, there you go. Coup de foudre, yeah. Yeah, but I think the, good, the, the grimoire, obviously, what you get to foudre is lightning and it gives you a... Yeah, the spell, it's a warlock spell called Thunderburst. Which is interesting because thunder and lightning are not the same thing. We defeat the boss. We move on to the treaty room. We see some slimes. It's the first time we've seen some slimes and probably since the catacombs or what was after the catacombs? Sanctum? This room is the start of the time trial that we're on about. This is basically if you fail the time trial, you come back to this room. There's a save point, so it's a good idea to save. When you walk through the door, that's when the challenge starts. New music starts to play called Nightmare. which it doesn't really sound like a nightmare, the music. It almost reminds me of the Super Mario Invincible music, you know, it's very fast. I thought the time was a little bit... I don't think it was possible in two minutes to actually fight all of the enemies. Because I found myself, maybe you did differently, I just ran past them as much as I could. I ran past them as well. I used the agility item, and I just, which increases the speed, it gives you the status quicken. It lets you jump higher, further. It speeds up your movement. So I use that. So let's just rattle the rooms off here. So we started in the treaty room. We move on to Way of the Lost Children. You move east through the Desire's Passage. East again to Senses Lost. North to Crossing of the Blood. East to Fool's Gold, Fool's Loss. And north to Tomb of the Reborn. Now, when you hit Tomb of the Reborn, you're probably on about two minutes. And this is where we get hit with a boss so you're in a two and a half minute time challenge and you get hit with a boss right in the middle this is the earth elemental the music doesn't change it's still a nightmare he's got 380 health points and 160 magic points he's got phantom affinity and he uses the special attacks on Vulcan lance as well there's a bit of a cutscene as ashley walks in he walks into the room and then what looks like a big fat stone statue hits the ground which you know would be being earth elemental 
and then it rolls around a bit and it's round but then all of a sudden it's head and it's arms and legs like shoot out of it like it was a turtle almost yeah and it's got like a really evil looking face did you notice that yeah he's got a kind of twisted yeah very sinister this wasn't a hard boss. I used the Luft Fusion for the air affinity because obviously air is opposite to Earth. It wasn't too bad. I mean, there's no way they could make this a hard boss when you're down to two minutes. I mean, I managed to really fly past all the enemies yeah. to get to this point, and I still only hit them with two minutes and change. I attached a, a gin at Amber, so air. Gin, I, I didn't know that gin was... from. I came across this term in reading the Witcher series of books... So right. basically it was a kind of a demon in a bottle. It seems to be an art term for a genie. I guess a kind of a, a wind or an air spirit is a genie. So that kind of made sense in that context. And also if you used a terror ward, so that's kind of a defense against earth. I was going to say actually, I think I encountered another room on my way in here. Did you get into a room where there was lots of traps? Yeah, there's quite a lot of traps uh, throughout this whole thing just to make your life more difficult. I hit a poison trap an explosion trap and there was a media strike trap i think yeah there was one room where it was full of traps and you had to use the eye of argon right yeah you can either is that the item the eye of argon but we also have a spell that does that as well yeah the eureka one the eye of argon though i was thinking is that argon it wasn't argon's place in spain and also the guy from lord of the rings but the eye of argon i had a look at this and it's a terrible it's supposedly it's a bit of a joke it's a terrible fantasy or heroic fantasy novella and the challenge i think at like conventions and stuff is how long people can read it before they start laughing so the eye of argon um is the name of the book um, and i think that's kind of an in joke here somewhere but i thought it was interesting as well but obviously it's it's a way of seeing all of the traps i can't remember from memory did you get points Yes, I got points in this place. I got 1,551,155, uh, 45% of the map cleared, Daredevil still, uh, strength plus one. The Grim War that I received was Gaia, the Greek goddess of Earth. Or, or yep. if you remember Captain, Captain Planet. Planet. Yeah, Gaia. Yeah, and if, if, if by our powers combined, Earth, wind, fire, water. Don't forget the last guy who had to be like... Hi! Nobody, nobody cares about heart. You know. Well, look at Rosencrantz. He had no heart in those with those peasants, and look what happens then. So, heart is important. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just trying to think what that Grimoire did. It's Gaia Strike. It's a Warlock spell, Gaia Strike. So it's just a, um, it's an attack spell. We defeat the boss, and the counter is still going down. The timer is still counting down, and we have to move through the lunatic's veins. Yeah, I was very surprised about that because I think when I got to the boss, I had something like 35, 34 seconds or something left. And I was like, yeah. oh, well, that's loads of time to, to defeat him. But then you defeat him and you're like, oh, this clock is still going. Then you go into Lunatic's Veins and you move on to the Bandit's Hollow. Now, I don't like this room at all. It's got two gargoyles and a blood lizard in one of the red lizards. And the camera is terrible. And the camera is terrible. And it's, if you fall down to the bottom, it's not easy to get back up. And there's loads of one-way doors here. And there's only one door that you can go through. However, there's a save point. Again, I advise saving here. Even if you don't have time to kill the enemy, just, just try and save because you've just done a pretty taxing section of the game in terms of time. And if you die here, then you've got to go and do it all again from the uh, the treaty room. So move on into Dining in the Darkness. What a surprise. It's another boss. I mean, that's like from the mines. Within about five minutes, we've done three bosses. Yeah. 
cutscene. You walk in the room, and for whatever unexplicable reason, because it's not a big room, there's a dragon flying. So it's obviously trapped in the room by Sydney. He must have summoned it, left it there. And the poor thing's been flying around the room because, you know, this is the first dragon we've seen that can actually fly. I was thinking to myself, this is the first dragon that actually deserves the name dragon. It looks like a dragon. And it's actually flying around. So then it lands, we fight. The music, the Greyland Incident Climax, starts to play, which I think is the same music from the very first Wyvern. This is Boss. It's the Sky Dragon, which is probably why they had it flying. 675 health points, zero magic points. It's Dragon Class. And it's got all these dragons now. Have you noticed they're all the same? They all do a bite. Yeah. They all do a tail attack. And they all do some sort of breath. This one does a thunder breath. The other one had like an earth breath. There's a fire dragon that did a fire breath. I had a piercing weapon. And I just hit it in the head with, a, with my piercing weapon. With my Hagagne um, Yeah, I did the same. Because it, it, the, the head was susceptible to piercing damage. The tail was supposed to be susceptible to edge damage to an edged weapon. But... It was just easier to just stay focused on piercing it in the head. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. I did nothing special. I maybe healed once. I mean, as always, I always cast Prestasia on myself. And if you can on the boss, I will cast Degenerate on the boss. If I had Heracles, I would cast that on myself as well, which would probably speed these battles up, you know, loads. But not much you can do right now. We beat this boss. Again, I don't have my points or anything, so... I got 1,655,300, 46% of the map completed, still Daredevil, and Agility plus 2. You get a couple of things from this, one of them is the Grimoire de Mons, which basically drains the mind. De Mons is French for dementia or Alzheimer's, which, you know, from a... An illness perspective, obviously that's draining your mind or, you know, uh, uh, an, uh, an illness of, of the mind. Yeah, and by draining the mind, you mean it, it uh, siphons off magic points from the enemy to replenish yeah. your own. So, yeah, but it's interesting is that that's obviously, again, a lot of these grimoires are, have French names that make sense when you think about what they actually do. And I think you also get the T-Rose sigil, which is useful later on. Um, and you also get an elixir of queens. Which is uh, HP, I think. The boss is beat and we get another cutscene and this is pretty long cutscene and it explains quite a lot for us. Ashley has defeated the Sky Dragon and as he tries to exit there's a voice that says where are you? Well there is something interesting in that because I thought the game was broken because it was like Ot, O-T, where are you? And I was like sure is that not Riot? But then I saw the next sentence was just R-E-U alive. So he's just getting the kind of end of this. It's getting cut off. This kind of disturbance in transmission. Ashley turns around and sees no one there. And then, as you say, the next line is a voice that says, dot, 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 R-E, you alive, Agent Riot. So obviously, the first one she was trying to say, Agent Riot, where are you? Are you alive, Agent Riot? Ashley then starts saying, Melos, Melos, where are you? The scene then changes to inside of a house, which I thought was the one that we went in before, the Kazabas, but I, I don't think it is actually. No, I don't think so. I think this as well, this part as well, I think it's the first instance where th- there seems to be a kind of a possibility of a two-way communication between Ashley and Marlos without them being physically present, because it seems that yeah. Marlos is, is trying to communicate with him and he can hear her, kind of, so... He has observed her, and again, he's, he's about to observe her now, yeah. isn't he? We're in the house and Melos is looking around and doesn't see anybody, but a grey image of Ashley can be seen behind her. Then someone knocks on the door from the outside and they say, blast another one of them sigils and we won't get through here. 
Merlot since he's Harden and he's on the highest level of the house which is the um, like another mezzanine floor he says to her fear not the door will hold I prefer leaving a guardian to back up my sigils but I made this one particularly strong Melos asks him if he can summon dark ones just like Sydney and he replies come we go to the great cathedral Melos then sees Joshua next to Harden and she remembers seeing a grey image of him and him saying he intends to die she questions about the boy and Joshua hides behind Harden Harden explains that he's the Duke's son our honoured guest he's timorous though and speaks not a word Melos notices that the boy seems quite taken with him and Harden agrees and says he knows not who I am so obviously Harden's saying oh the only reason he likes me is because he doesn't realise I'm a bad guy and timorous is an interesting word as well it's not a word that I was really familiar with so I, I just assumed it was like timid timid and timorous are, are different supposedly um, timorous means suffering from nervousness or a lack of confidence or as I think t- timid right. is they're both adjectives I think that mean similar but they're slightly different I think timid is is more fearful, whereas this is right. nervousness or a lack of confidence. Melos asks why Mullenkamp tried to seize the manor and demands an answer, and Harden says, why should I? A voice then says, we turned banners against the Duke. Melos turns around and sees a grey image of Harden, and the grey Harden continues, he sought to seal off our wellspring after two decades of toil. Then Melos repeats this line, he sought to seal off the wellspring, and Harden then tries to say something to her, but the grey Harden continues, The Duke is mortally ill, and he fears he will pay for his life's sins in the next. He seeks to bury this city as though that would bring absolution. Melos then asks, And you seek to pluck the city from his dying hands, correct? The grey image disappears, and she asks to know why do they take the manor, but the actual Harden does not answer, and she says, you will answer, and this forces the great image to reappear. So we're starting to see some of Melosa's power here, aren't we? You know, we- yeah. So basically, she, she, it's interesting as well that she's the inquisitor, and an inquisitor is to ask people questions and get answers. So her power seems to be to be actually able to get people in this grayed out form to tell or to say things that they're, physically they're not willing to say. It was interesting as well. It brings out some of the story of what's going on. So the Duke and whomever else has been using this or seems to be using this wellspring or uh, Leomond or whatnot has been using it for many years for their own purposes, whatever power it gives. And now that the Duke is on his deathbed, he thinks that, you know, to save himself going to hell or wherever, he wants to get rid of this Leomond or this wellspring or this source of power. And Sydney and the rest of them are not happy with that. The idea that, you know, just because he's dying doesn't mean that he should shut off the wellspring or the power for all of them. And they want to, to secure it. So Melos demands an answer and the grey image reappears, showing her power. And the grey Harden says, To inherit the city, you must have the key. Only the bearer of the key can receive the power of the Grand Grimoire. She questions the key. The Grey Harden continues. The key bearer, the Duke, will soon die. If he dies without a successor, all is lost. The Duke thinks he can cut off the cursed Mullenkamp bloodline, but that must not be allowed to happen. We will assume the legacy. Sydney is. And it cuts off here, and the image disappears, and Harden has stabbed himself in the thigh with his dagger. So, obviously, by 
you know, some trauma can kind of stop this happening, doesn't it? It's also interesting, this idea of the key bearer, successor to Mullenkamp bloodline. I, I, and that's interesting about the idea of, you know, you son about Sydney is, what is Sydney? Harden says that she should hinder him no further and that the go. Malos questions that this is her power. Harden says, so it seems, as I can scry on distant locals, so the talent of the heartseers has flowed in you. She questions about the talent and he says, we all possess energy inquisitor, so as you say, she's the inquisitor, but it is a negative energy, an energy that should not exist. And yes, it does. And it awakens the sleeping power. I thought that was an interesting phrase as well. He used the idea of scry. Obviously, again, I hadn't heard that before, but it's, again, it's a kind of an old English term or I think for using or looking into a medium to detect messages. So I think scrying could be looking into like a crystal ball or reading tea leaves or, you know, some way of trying to to see messages. Tarot cards. Yeah, stuff like that. So, um, and I think that Harden says he can do that so he can look into or peep into into other people's what's going on. That's his power. Melos questions the dark. The answer is yes, something like that. And she wants to know about Sydney. Harden explains that he is the strongest that he knows, that he sees people's past and he can even push his will onto others and he may have other powers beyond what he knows. So I found that very interesting because he's now saying he can push his will onto others. This brings the previous cutscenes of Ashley, especially when he was in the forest with Sydney. It just throws it all in disarray, doesn't it? No, it does. It's the idea that he can't, you know, he can see the past, but the idea that he can also push his will onto others. Yeah, he um, can change your memories. And yeah. we don't know that he's not working with Rosencrantz and he's just told Rosencrantz, I'm going to push this sort of image onto Ashley. So when I do, you play along with that and say this on top of it, you know. It, yeah. There could be so much at work here that we don't even know. Malo says it is sad. Harden questions it and she replies to him. Even if he can see the past and clasp the future, how are we to know if he speaks it? If he can push us to believe anything, how do we tell the truth from falsehood? Harden wants to know why she is singling him out, saying that everybody lies, and you know that. Whatever the dark sorcerers or corrupt clergy, they all lie, and we believe them. Am I wrong? Then the grey Harden reappears and says, he would not lie to me. So this is more like, she's not even demanding anything. It's just more like the pure emotion. We know how emotional Harden is, don't we? Yeah, because Harden has questioned Sydney before and questioned what he's doing and whether this is madness. And now what Marlos has basically done as well is to kind of get inside his head. And I think you can see Harden starting to doubt Sydney as well. You know, she's got him to admit his, his inner feelings about, you know, he can push his will onto others and, and, yeah. and all of this. And then now he's starting, I think, to doubt Sydney. And of course, there was that line from a couple of weeks ago, which was, if we are friends, do not compel me so. Yeah. And we weren't sure if compelling was in, he give him an order. But I think compelling here is actually going into his mind and making him do it. Yeah. And that's probably why he was so annoyed. And then Milos wants to know what they'll do with a grand grimoire and Harden doesn't answer. She then finally says, fine, then let us be off. But Sydney hides something from you, Harden. And then he just says, I will bring rope. He walks away and the great image of Ashley can then be seen again behind Melos. But why is he saying we will bring rope? I'm not sure if it's just because he's going to tie her up or is he going to pull her up to the mezzanine level? Is there any stairs there? I don't know. No, I think he was going, I think he's going to tie her up. Yeah, I think we'll see this house later on because I don't believe they've made anything we've not been 
and we'll probably be there next week. But it'll be nice to actually see this house and see how far we are behind them. Cutscene then moves back into the mines, back to Ashley. And he says, The power to brand one's will onto another, Sydney's true past. Was it a lie? Which is exactly what we were saying. Yeah, so pretty much now Ashley is also doubting about what Sydney has showed him. How can he believe anything? We leave this area onto Subterranean Horrors, which is another Cloudstone box puzzle one, which is very similar to the other one that you had before. And but there's another new cube type here. Did you see the yeah, new cube type, the frictionless the cube. cube? Yeah, yeah, frictionless. So you push it from one side, and it'll keep traveling till it stops or falls off something. So again, it's just another one of these things where you've got to stack the boxes and jump up. And, you know, if you have low agility, you should use Invigorate or a fairy wing just to help you jump. Um, I managed to do this one. wasn't really Is an issue. Is that not the one that has the one that you have to use it on the floating cube, the Grimoire Fixate, to make it stop? Oh, I didn't do that. I just did it as it was moving. Oh, yeah. You can use the Grimoire Fixate, which stops, freezes. The, it makes it go red and freezes for a moment. So oh, okay. you can freeze it at the side. Jump onto it uh-huh. and then jump across. Okay, that's good to know. Probably run into that later. We leave the boss room and we end up back in the Undercity West. Undercity starts to play and we are in the room, the crumbling market. There's a save point and there's a latched door which takes us back into the Hall of Poverty so you can head back over on yourself and a boss comes to revisit us in the form of a normal enemy. It's our old friend, the Dullahan, which is now, he's not... He's not a boss anymore, is he? No, but no that's way. the thing that happens to a lot of the bosses. They come back later on as just normal enemies. So they're a boss at one point and then later on they've been demoted. Uh, so I took them out so fast and there's one door we can move through that doesn't double back into either the mines or the undercity and that takes us into tears from empty sockets. There's a dark skeleton in here. There's a door locked with a gold key. However, we go out the only way we can, and this takes us back into the town centre east, into Rue Lejour. There's not much here. It's just a save point, and it's a small side street. Okay, so let's just talk about that whole section. So that was a lot of gameplay uh, and a lot of story, to be honest. When you you know when you consider that was from the keep Rosencrantz right up to Rue Lejour, we've done four bosses. But we've also, more importantly, no, maybe it's five bosses with Rosencrantz. Uh, more importantly, we've discovered quite a lot. A lot of what we talked about in the previous weeks where, you know, where we're saying Sydney can push his will onto others. That's actually true. I would say, though, do we know a lot or do we not know a lot? Because even though we've got more information, we don't know what to believe. No, we definitely don't know what to believe. So, and I think that's the same with Ashley. You know, he's got a lot more information, but... At the end of that last, when he came back after listening to the Merlos and Hardin conversation, I don't think he either knows what's going on. So even though he's got lots of information from lots of different people, there is no clear picture. I think a lot of the story at this point, while it's given some clarity on, on the intentions of what's been going on with the Duke and the Wellspring and whatnot, from Ash's point of view, what's going on there, what his role in all of this is, what his own past is, what Sydney's up to, you know, there's a lot of un... Um, cloudiness in there as well so while it's further down the story a bit i don't think there's any clear direction yet of um, exactly what is happening from ash's perspective i think mostly something's been answered but every time a question gets answered i think two more open up to be honest i'm not really sure on on where everybody lies um sydney and harden no longer seem the bad guys to me 
the bad guy is um, Guildenstern. I think right now he's going to be the ultimate bad guy. Probably, but then again, there's this the Cardinal. Uh, will he ever show up? Uh, will we ever see him? Uh, the VKP, they seem like bad guys. They do now. Yeah? Yeah. So, you know, who is the ultimate bad guy? You know, it seems if the VKP have brainwashed Ash and used him for their own means, you know, are they not equally as bad? Are the VKP trying to use Ash to get control of this wellspring themselves? Are they not doing the same thing that Gildenstern is doing on behalf of the Cardinal, for example, supposedly? Is that why they were so upset that the Crimson Blades were seen to be operating without them? That they were going to get there first and get control of whatever this power is? So... Who is the ultimate bad guy? It seems that there are many bad guys. And if you look at Rosencrantz's comments, it seems that there are multiple bad guys. Everyone is just out for themselves. And they're just using mm-hmm. the pawns or the players to their own ends. So maybe Sidney's the good guy. Could be. I'm still going to say that he's grey. I'm going to say maybe he's got half-decent intentions, but he goes around them a roundabout way. Well, I mean, Sydney is probably using Ashley as well. He's using people as well for his own ends. Whether they, they're going along with it or not, as we've heard previously, he can push his will onto people. So that's the other question. You know, he's using people. He's actually physically using them. No. Well, I think there's more questions to be answered, hopefully next week. So that's it for this evening. We get to the save point, save our progress, and return to the real world. Thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate it. You can find us on Facebook as Retrospective Replay and also Twitter as at Retro Replay Pod if you want to like and follow us. You can also email us at retrospectivereplay at gmail.com with any questions, comments or patch notes. Until next week, good night and Godspeed. <laughs>